head that wears the crown. Dangerous is the seat of power. No man nor woman should ever sit the Iron Throne and feel comfortable. When a king dies, then another rises, and the small folk hold their breath as the gods flip a coin. All fear and all hope, for in every beginning there is endless possibility. And when what has served its purpose dies and rots, fresh life can grow into its own even thrive and flourish. Such is the way of kings and queens. The old must make way, and something new must rise. Uh, this is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar. Baylor Morgulis. Constance. Ours is the fury. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. And myself, Morgan. Sam is out today. In this podcast, we'll be talking everything and anything, A Song of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the recent New Rain trailer. This will be the last episode before House of the Dragon airs, and we are so excited. Uh, so close, so close. So excited. Okay. (laughs) be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia before we get into our trailer we're starting with our segment for the love of lore which i'm taking over from sam for today in this segment i will be going over anything involving history culture and customs in the world of ice and fire the council will then discuss the lore and how it may affect the show In today's lore, we'll be discussing funerary rites in the continent of Westeros. Now, these vary widely with different areas, different faiths, different houses. There is honestly not a lot of consistency. Um, And there are many areas where we don't really know what the funerary rites are at all. But these are what we do know. Uh, For many of the followers of the old gods... They used to use barrows, which are pretty much little burial hills. Uh, And they can still be found all over the north. House Stark has a family crypt. Uh, They hold simple ceremonies to say goodbye and then entomb their family members underground. Uh, The vaults are often guarded by statues holding real swords and dire wolves. Now, we know from Game of Thrones that Lyanna Stark had her own statue and was there. However, for the most part, it's the lords and the kings of Winterfell who have statues in the crypts. Just a bit north of the north, we have the Night's Watch, who prefer to have funeral pyres. They've always done so, and the ceremony is generally done to honor the fallen. Beyond them, we have the Free Folk who also burn their dead, go figure. This is seen as practical in their culture, uh, and no ceremony is generally practiced, or if there is any ceremony at all, it's the briefest, most practical thing they can do, like, bye, friend, 
And Ain't nobody fire. got time for that. <laughs> yeah, right? Not not north of the wall. Over into the northeast, we have the Ironborn, who practice burial at sea. Go figure. Uh, because they worship the drowned god. Uh, their dead are so said to go back to the drowned god and serve in his hall. Uh, where the dead may never die. Or as they say officially... What is dead may never die. Now, back into the main segment of Westeros, we see mostly followers of the Seven, and these people are buried uh, much more in what we think of as traditional fashion, buried in the ground, generally six feet deep. Uh, Their bodies are prepared and embalmed, which is a little uh, different in that time period, Uh, by the Silent Sisters, which are a group of septas uh, who care for the sickly and the dead. They are very dedicated and generally take a vow of silence, hence the name Silent Sisters. Uh, The embalming process involves having the internal organs and blood removed and replaced with salt and sweet-smelling herbs, because ain't nobody want to be smelling that. Uh... The seven, uh, the followers of the seven are also buried with a crystal atop their grave. It is said that the father, one of the seven gods, uh, judges the dead and sends them to one of the seven heavens or seven hells. Not much is really stated about what the differences are between the seven heavens and the seven hells, but we can kind of make some guesses that they are not the same thing. Um... Some of the great personages of the land, uh, most notably Hands of the King, uh, have their bodies uh, embalmed and then have vigils stood over them before they are buried. Um, We saw this happen to Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones. uh, And also Jon Arryn at the very beginning of the series. Uh, they're often looked after by family, if at all possible. Sometimes, uh, with kings, Kingsguard will be the ones who look after them and stand vigil. But seven days is a long time, so people tend to take shifts. (laughs) House Tully, um, they also have their funerary rites on the water, like the uh, Ironborn, Uh, They set their dead on riverboats, and generally a trusted family member or whoever is closest to the deceased uh, then shoots a flaming arrow at the boat and hopefully hits it on the first try. Uh, And the boat will then light on fire and eventually sink to the bottom of the water, and all is right with the world. Oh, Edmure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last but certainly not least, House Targaryen. Uh, we know from uh, recent trailers and also from the lore that they cremate their dead. Uh, we also know that the ashes are not scattered as they are with the uh, Night's Watch or people beyond the wall. Uh, they're actually gathered and interred 
uh, various kings have final resting places, but only as ash. Uh, it is unclear whether this tradition dates back to Valyria, uh, and even if it does, whether it was only a tradition held by House Targaryen, or whether it was a tradition of all Valyrians. So, what do you all think of the funerary rites of Restoros? Well, I have a theory. Uh-huh. Considering both the Free Folk and the Night's Watch burn their dead, uh, I wonder if that might, if the whole thing about the dead being brought back to life by Winter's King, by the Night King, and the fact that we've seen the others and other various night monsters come back from the dead, maybe that's their way of preventing that. You burn the body and it can't be brought back against you. I totally agree with that. That's why, probably why they burn their dead, at least in the north, that they won't come back. And we all saw what happened at Winterfell <laughs> with the bodies they had interred. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. Um, given the nature of magic at and beyond the wall, with the dead coming back to life and the grumpkins, and I would guess that the earliest of the first men um, who didn't exactly know that much about the children of the forest before the pact was made, didn't really trust them with the dead and letting the dead rest. Mm. I believe they might have started after the Night's uh, King when... Uh, he brought uh, that white queen. They might have had their first after the long night. Uh, during the long night? Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe uh, the Night's Watch was formed after the long night. Uh, so they might have had this ritual from the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. And I want to bring up uh, back to a theory we were discussing in last week's episode where we were talking about whether the Targaryens may have had a vision that made uh, Aegon Targaryen conquer Westeros to prepare for the next long night, a.k.a. the events of Game of Thrones. And this actually is one of the things that made that made me start thinking about that theory in the first place, the fact that the Targaryens burned their dead and that it's expressly stated that we don't know whether the rest of Valyria did the same. It could have been, in my opinion, that uh, Aegon started that tradition uh, and that the burning of the dead was in preparation for making sure that he and his descendants didn't have to come back and serve in some undead army. <laughs> I actually made a video on that, uh, that uh, maybe it's possible uh, whether uh, Valeria probably knew about it. And that's probably why they started conquering the SOs as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it might be too far-fetched. Oh, it's, pro it's very far-fetched, but I love it. <laughs> um, there's also the, um, there's also the traditions of Mir and the followers of R'hllor and their relationship to fire as well. So mm -hmm. it is a possibility that the Targaryens burn their dead as to pay tribute to um, the Red God. And the best thing is they don't have to do anything. They just have dragons. <laughs> they just have to say dragons and boom, <laughs> they're yeah. down, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, birds and stones, man. <laughs> birds and stones. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really think that the uh, 
the the Targaryens are paying tribute to the Red God. I think the Targaryens and the worshippers of the Red God are responding to the same thing, which is the Long Night, right? The idea that Mm -hmm. cold and dark is the enemy. The whole series is called A Song of Ice and Fire for a reason. Uh, At least that's my opinion. Well, there's another important funeral that we haven't discussed that we've seen in multiple trailers for House of the Dragon. It shows a white sarcophagus being launched off of a beer into the water. Based on what we've seen, I think that's House Valarian's tradition. Would, Would you agree? I agree. It's similar to uh, the Iron One, yeah. but since they are Valyrians, <laughs> they are doing it in style. <laughs> <laughs> they're, do- yeah. they're doing it with the, with the ornate coffins instead of just dumping a body overboard. Now, there is um, also, um, um, we didn't cover the funerary rites of Bravos, and I would think that they would, at least they're, um, sorry, not Bravos, but... Oh, Valeria, and I was thinking that maybe the slave class maybe threw their dead into the volcano, you know, yet another, yeah. you know, because they were, they were mining volcanoes. So, I mean, Valeria had a lot of fire stuff going on with it, you know? Yeah. So maybe burning the dead was a Valerian thing. It's very possible that there's nothing known. And in the trailer, we see a funeral pyre being burned by a dragon. So, uh, and Aegon Targaryen was also burned by Vhagar. And uh, I think his sword, uh, Valyrian uh, sword, wasn't burned with the funeral pyre, but it was put with his body. And uh, Megor the Cruel uh, retrieved it after. And uh, I don't know, I can't remember, uh, Jaehaerys, which sword did he have? I believe Jaehaerys had dark, um, no, he didn't have dark sister, that was Daemon's. Blackfire. Uh, Blackfire? Yeah, he had Blackfire, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if we'll get to see that uh, yeah. in the show. <laughs> and we also don't have some uh, other houses, uh, but uh, I just had a fun idea. If you had to put some uh, funeral rites for them, what would you do? For example, <laughs> for House Aaron, wrong answers only. <laughs> for <laughs> example, for House Aaron, <laughs> I just picture them throwing their dead out of the moon door. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yoink! <laughs> Uh, no, no, that's what they do to the living. Living dead, it's the same poor guy that's got to mop it up at the bottom, you know? <laughs> uh, I would expect the Lannisters to throw their dead to the lions. You know, yeah. get rid of the body, have an entertainment value at the same time. You know, more more bang for your buck. So that's what happened to the reins. Uh, well, the reins were drowned. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in truth, I would think that, like, um, geography tends to have a lot to do with funerary rites. Um, like one would think that up in, um, up in where House Aaron would be, there would be a lot of cairns because of all the stone, um, versus in the reach where there would be a lot of graves where House Gardener and House Tyrell would use the bodies to fertilize at least their home gardens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about House Martell and Dorne? <laughs> if they're a lot like Oberon, I don't want to know what they do with their dead bodies. <laughs> oh my. Because I think I do. <laughs> my goodness. 
Hey, you know, we've all known people that are like, you know, pretty face in a heartbeat, heartbeat optional. And what we saw of the Red Viper. Yeah, you never know. Um, but in truth, when it comes to funerary rites of the desert, um, that is a tough one because they vary so deeply. You know, so I'm guessing House Martell might do either burial at sea because of their closeness to the port where the Ruinar came in or just standard um, dump them in the sand. You know, I don't think that they would be like the House of Taxidermy. Well, I was just thinking, wasn't uh, and I don't remember, actually, so correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Oberyn, what wasn't there a whole process in which he was trying to get his sister's body back, her remains like they wanted the remains from I think that from, was part of the deal, right? Hmm. So I, it makes me think that they they hold them in reverence in some way, as opposed to just tossing them. At least that's my guess. But then I guess I also assume that you know House Valerian, even though they're tossing their bodies in the ocean, they still hold them in reverence. They just want to make sure that the traditions are upheld. Same. Um, honestly, I'm curious as to the funerary rites of the neck. Mm. Like, do they feed them to lizard lions? Do they just <laughs> um, wrap them up and let the current take them away? You know, because um, I don't know that much about swamp people because I don't live in the swamp and they're not exactly forthcoming. So um, it, it it is a question. I know... Um, in Louisiana, they have above-ground crypts um, to keep our beloved um, progenitors um, from becoming floaters. And, you know, mm -hmm. so would that be the type of thing they don't do in the neck? I wonder. It's very possible. I mean, the, the, the neck is also, you know, proximity to the north. It, it's very possible that they have crypts um, just like the Starks, except, like you said, above-ground. That would actually make a lot of sense. I wonder what they do in Greywater Watch uh, because uh, it's all mud and uh, everything. House read where uh, they are from. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, well, we're going to say that is our lore segment. Uh, next we have... Dragons in the details, where Constance and Uzmo will be going over small details you may have missed in this trailer, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. Go ahead, Constance and Uzma. Thank you. Okay, so the first scene we are going to discuss is the feast, uh, the throne room. We can see four statues on the columns, and uh, we have discussed this earlier, uh, but... Uh, as uh, I think they are four kings that came before King Viserys. That's Aegon uh, the Conqueror, his sons Aenys and Maegor the Cruel, and King Jaehaerys. That's who I think we see. And be before their statues, we can see carvings. So, uh, as we've uh, discussed earlier in our previous episodes, this, these carvings might be the stories of these kings, of their accomplishments, what they have achieved, etc. We can see dragons fighting soldiers uh, in the third one. I can see so, a horse over on the left. Uh, if you look at the left front column, it yeah. looks like the horse <laughs> at the forefront. 
So, yeah, this probably shows pictures of battles or of, of great deeds that these kings had, had performed. And we see get we get to see more close ups of these. Uh, we've already discussed it uh, in the tra first trailer, and there are other shots where you can see them more clearly. Uh, and what do you think? Uh, this is Constance. It looks like it looks more like a crab to me than a dragon. Yes, yeah, thing. That's a weird kind of shape because it looks kind of like, like a star, maybe. Or a flower? It looked to me like it has many legs and everything. Yeah, it could. <laughs> Maybe it's the Kraken showing them doing the great joys. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but that's one of those things that the details are so intricate that we'll, prob we'll, we'll probably get little glimpses, but we'll never be able to see the full thing on camera, which is really a shame because I know they put a lot of work into these things. We also get to see uh, this... Uh, if King Viserys touching one of the carvings, so she, so we might get to see a close-up of it in the show. Yeah, that looks like a soldier in armor that he's touching there, because you can see that he's got like two legs, a military skirt, yeah. and a breastplate. So that's probably going to be some soldier, possibly one and of his ancestors. And this one is on the right, uh, so I believe it could be Aeneas. Uh, I think the one on the back is Megor the Cruel. Then what we have next, Constance? Well, something that Solar had pointed out in one of our previous broadcasts was that the Targaryens are always flanked by fire. That's something that, that is who they are, fire and blood being their words. But everywhere you look, every, t every shot, there's fire. And where there's fire, there's dragons. So what what we're seeing is these little the little details in the, the brazers that provide light and heat and warmth. Uh, are all dragons holding up flaming bowls of coal. And we're looking at a couple of those dragons uh, as part of a, uh, a coal brazier. And there's dragons on a sconce holding up torches on the walls, uh, going up a large staircase. Everything is dragons. Everything is flame. Even the ones that are on the Iron Throne are still carried by that dragon motif. You're going to see that a lot. Do not play the dragon drinking game. Do not. You will not survive. <laughs> you can't unsee it. They are everywhere. So that's just something to look out for. Look out for the dragons in, like I said, in the details where they where they're worked into the designs. But do not take a drink every time you find one. It's Maybe just... you can play uh, a drinking game every time you see a dragon. No, <laughs> I'm saying don't. I'm saying no. <laughs> don't play that game. You'll get drunk, and uh, we do not want you to have liver failure. So, <laughs> yeah. So what do we have next, Isma? We have oh, speaking of going back to our topic. Yeah, funeral. Um... We see a dead body that's wrapped in a cloth and there are flowers and reeds below that. It seems like a funeral pyre and in the background you can see the Targaryens and there are people uh, in, other sh in another shot we see a lot of people wearing black clothes and it looks like mourning clothes like they are in mourning. And uh, the hill is the same in the background. And the people who are gathered, we can see there is Viserys the first, Rhaenyra, Daemon, Mr. Melos, K 
king's guard everyone is here so my guess is this is king jaheris because uh, no one else seems to be missing so it could be king jaheris and in one of the another trailers we see a dragon on top of that hill uh, and at first i thought it was uh, maybe melis because uh, uh, jaheris was a uh, uh, Queen Rhaenys's grandfather, father as well, but uh, in this shot, um, I think it's Vhagar. Uh, Who do you think? Uh, which dragon do you think it is, Constance? Well, it's hard to say because in that other shot it looked red, but in this shot it looks gold. So it's it's one of those really tricky. What does the CG actually look like? Shots. Because this is a composite. This isn't going to be the finished shot. Because you could tell the, the saddle looks a little weird. Um. I think it's... Uh, at first I thought uh, that it was Melis and uh, Queen Rhaenys. But we can see Rha uh, Queen Rhaenys in the people that are gathered on the ground. Mm -hmm. So we know it's not her. There is also Rhaenyra next to King Viserys. So I think uh, this is Lena. And she's uh, on Vagar. Vigar was also the one who burned Aegon the Conqueror's Aegon the Conqueror's funeral pyre, and here we see him burning another funeral pyre. So I think it's Lena and Vigar, and we also see uh, in one of the later shots there is a wrinkled old man uh, standing next to Damon and Sir Otto. So I think it's uh, King Jairus. So I think we might get to see Alison taking care of a sick Jairus because we can see uh, we will get to see an old Jairus in this. What do you think, Constance? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that part of Alison's journey—that's uh, the beginning of Alison's journey—is her father bringing her to King's Landing and setting her up with the king to be his nurse. And so I think that to establish her storyline, they need to show that and give her the first kind of steps towards her journey towards being a you know a contender for the throne but what's yeah what's next uh what's next is an army scene we've got all kinds of soldiers here it looks like there's the crest of house Celtigar and the crest of house staunton uh this is a war camp you can see they've got spears they've got uh swords they've got all kinds of different stuff going on and this might be house valarian as well because there's another shot of a war camp with valarian seahorse banners uh, so and then there's um it looks like a war planning meeting because they've got a table with uh what looks like little markers on it and they're going over everything out by the sea of course because that's where you know corliss is happiest um, there's also someone with uh, uh silver hair and i think it's daemon could be daemon yeah yeah because in uh, another shot uh, yeah go ahead constance oh yeah we've got daemon's definitely in in a, one of the camps of the valarians because we could see him walking past someone bearing the seahorse shield mm. and he's in full battle mode there's another shot of valerian soldiers you could tell because again the seahorse crest now they're fighting what looks like uh not another army but but what looks like maybe mercenaries i'm trying to recall was that was that when uh damon went across the narrow sea yeah i think it's the can we say which battle it is yeah i think that'd be, be a, i think that would be spoiler. more of a spoiler if we talk about 
we talk about where he goes and what he does. I don't know why when I saw these clothes, at first the first thing that popped in my head was uh, Dorn. <laughs> but it's not Dorn. Okay, it's I, not I Dorn. it's probably somewhere from Lismere Tairosh, uh yeah. <laughs> in Stepstones, and that's all I'll say. So that's that's where he's mm-hmm. probably fighting in these segments. But and he, we also see uh, some other banners. Yeah, we see some extra banners, she, so we know that there's definitely many, many houses that are fighting alongside House Valarian in these segments. So we get some big outer scenes. What do you think the one on the right is? Uh, looks uh, like a sunburst kind of design. So yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Oh well, I guess we'll have to wait until we get a better shot of it because it's it's at an angle and it's really faded. Yeah. Uh, but the takeaway from this here is that we're going to see some big fight scenes. There's some massive battles because you can see there's at least 20 people in a single shot. And that's just from one single shot. And you know there's a lot more than that. So we're hoping to see some big battles out of this series. And knowing what happens, there's going to be plenty of battles. <laughs> so I'm excited. People loved battles in Game of Thrones, oh, and yeah. we'll get to see it in House of the Dragon as well. Oh yeah, plenty of plenty of action. <laughs> uh, what do we have next to look at? In the next scene, we see Damon and Rhaenyra together, and what I noticed was that beside them, there was a brazier, and uh, there was lion uh, statue, lion heads on it. And I don't, I don't know why there is line. Uh, at first, I thought they might be at Casterly Rock, but looking at some of the other scenes, the background looks like King's Landing. So I don't think uh, they are in Casterly Rock. So it could have been a gift from the uh, Lannisters. Why do you think there are lion statues uh, on, like, on the fire, on the brazier? Uh, maybe they got tired of doing dragons all the damn time. <laughs> uh, it could it could very well be that those were gifts from the Lannisters. The Lannister crest to remind yeah. everybody, hey, we gave you these. Uh, it could just be they wanted a difference of design to break out to a different segment. Like to show a difference in design. Whoever this chamber belongs to uh, doesn't quite buy into the whole dragon theme. Um. It could be the cinematic introduction of House Reigns. They are a cat of a different coat, as it were. Ah. Oh, that's po- that's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in the next shot, next shot, again we have Damon. Uh, we can see Damon, and there's the same brazier next to them. And in another shot, we see Damon holding a dagger. And it looks like a common dagger, not uh, the one like King Viserys had. So (laughs) it's a different dagger. (laughs) So maybe, maybe he's trying to have someone killed and not be traced it back to him. That's why he's using a common dagger. At least that's what my theory is. What do you think, Constance? Uh, I I have a totally spoilerific theory, so I won't go into it. Just based on the costumes and what we've seen for this segment, so I I'm not gonna say anything. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. But yeah, <laughs> and what I said is based on total speculation. Yeah, and we see, <laughs> and we see Damon's ring here. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, something uh, you've put your sigil on, like 
a wax a wax seal ring. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a stamp ring. For the wax seals. <laughs> what do you what do we have next? Oh Monster? here we have what probably is an outtake, uh, or at least a behind the scenes painting, because everybody looks too damn cheerful. <laughs> this is Game of Thrones. This is House of the Dragon. Nobody's gonna look that happy. Well, you um, know, conga lines were known during the reign of House Targaryen. You see, it's uh... it is known. Um, so we're looking at a scene where it it could possibly be in keeping with the um, the funeral scene. Everyone's dressed in very dark colors. Uh, you could see that on behind them. There's some horses carrying uh, with banners on the on the border of line of the wall. There's a beautiful painting of what looks like King's Landing behind them in the back. There is a tapestry. Or a painting, either way. Um, but yeah, everyone's wearing the costumes that we've seen in other shots, especially uh, Alessant. She's wearing the same kind of outfit that she's wearing when she attacks Rinra with a dagger. So I yeah. think that this is after that scene, after like they shot something and they're all really happy and really cheerful. I do not think this is a scene from the actual show. I think this <laughs> is the actors having fun. But uh, there's also... Uh... The chair that we oh, there's discussed that earlier. Oh, chair we've seen. Yeah, so that's in the throne room, I believe. That looks like a flower. <laughs> yeah, that looks like a flower. So they could be in the throne room. And these are horses, uh, the carvings. These looks like horses carrying people, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's what I think. Horses with banners. There are no dragons here. <laughs> no, there's horses. At least on the walls. <laughs> so there's something different for a change. Okay, and then we have something... Uh, which looks like a, which looks like high garden. At least the moment I lay, uh, I saw this uh, clip, the word that jumped in my head was uh, high garden because I've seen several uh, fan uh, fan edits which look a lot like this. Some of the fan arts that look like this, and we have uh, in front of this there are people which look like uh, Valarians. Uh, it might be uh, Princess Rain is, is standing in the front and in the background, someone is coming out. Uh, and I think it's Rhaenyra from the full trailer that we see Rhaenyra coming out. I think this is this clip. Ah, so yeah, the background. It could be uh, Rhaenyra and the Valarians at High Garden. What do you think is going on here, Constance? Ah, wow. There's there's so little to go off of. I mean, we can see that they're soldiers. They're they're not Kingsguard, and they're not uh, gold cloaks. So I don't think that this is in the Red Keep. Also, the stonework is very pale, white, br white and gray. So I don't think that this is in you know King's Landing either. Uh, is it High Garden? I don't know. I I don't remember where or when they would have occasion to go there. But it could be a fun way to show a city that we saw very little of in the uh, Game of Thrones series. We may not know why they're there, but I also want to point out that uh, Jaehaerys did a lot of traveling. Yeah. He went to all the different places and just hung out for a while. <laughs> so we could mm -hmm. be seeing a lot of different places just because Jaehaerys wants to be there. Very true. Very true. It's possible. Uh but uh, this is, if this is the that scene from the trailer, we have older Rhaenyra. So, will Jairus be alive by then? No, no, he dies at the very beginning. 
if it's not the older Rhaenyra, if it's the younger one, then it's definitely pro possible because we know uh, Aegon the Conqueror and several other kings like to visit other mm -hmm. kingdoms. So that's definitely, uh, I agree with Morgan, it's definitely possible. So what do we have next? Uh, it looks like we've got the burning of a Valarian flag. And you can see here, this is a production still where you've got a guy with a flaming gun. That's literally, <laughs> his job is to go and set things on fire. I mean, how cool a job is that? Terribly unfun job. Ter terribly oh, yeah. unfun. <laughs> horrible. Horrible being a pyromaster in Hollywood. Horrible. So wake up in the morning going, oh, God, I got to go there. Why can't I just have a water gun for once? Just to oh, I have to set more shit on fire, damn it. <laughs> Uh, so that's this is probably from those attack scenes that we were looking at earlier, all the all the combat where we know the House Valarian is uh, engaging and on the beach. So this is probably part of those sequences when we get to see all the battle scenes. And it's so huge. It is a huge banner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks so awesome. Yeah, that's going to be fun to watch. In 4K detail that goes up in flames. Uh, but next comes a mystery, right? We, do we know what we're looking at here? It seems like there are several skulls uh, on wooden poles, and they are still wearing their helmets. <laughs> Helms. Uh, so uh, these might be soldiers or maybe other lords. What we'll notice is that uh, the ones on the... The three on the right and the two on the left are wearing normal rusted uh, helms, uh, which might be iron or something. But the one uh, from the left third, uh, it seems like he's wearing a golden helm. Yeah. Maybe these are uh, gold cloaks. Who do you think these skulls belong to? I'm going to go out. Based on what you're saying with the, if you look at the background of the, of what they're, these skulls and these helms are standing in front of, it looks like a sea picture. I, I mean, you could see sea creatures, yeah. uh, sea dragons. There's one that looks like a kraken because it's curled around the mast of a ship. Uh, there's another yeah. that kind of looks like a Loch Ness monster, but I really can't tell. <laughs> Um, I it looked like a crocodile. It looked like a crocodile. Yeah, it's like, it's like if it's even, it's going to the left, it's the crocodile. If it's going to the right, it's a Loch Ness monster. I'm gonna say that this is House Valarian's trophy room. That these are enemies that the sea snake has killed, and has their skulls on display. It's possible, and there are also candles surrounding yeah. candles everything. Surrounding. It's just weird. I don't it's hard to connect to anything but it'll be cool when we get to see this one because i really want to know where this is going in truth it doesn't seem like um well the the interesting thing for me is that all of the helmets have the same overall shape which is a shape mm -hmm. that we haven't really seen in this show before um most it's of the helmets that, no yeah so i would definitely say this seems i would almost say roinar as it were um so it could be a sea conquest thing it could be um realistically speaking it could be an honorary place in in dorn um from the fallen um from the fallen founders from the roinar from nymeria the first hmm. 
That's a good theory. Interesting. Yeah, it's possible because you know uh, Nymeria came with a thousand ship ships, so that's possible. Yeah, that could be their journey across the sea portrayed behind them there on that painting. Yeah, we we haven't seen these pointed helms mm. so far. No. And there was a rumor at one point where they were talking about Rhaenyra's um, journey across the sea as a show. So who knows? It could be um, foreshadowing to another spinoff. <laughs> this is Warner Brothers and, we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, HBO's not going to miss an opportunity. They will put clues and everything. They will set up uh, for the prequel as well. Because in one of the other trailers, I saw there was a book that was telling the story of Nymeria that she came... Uh, I didn't put it in this video, but uh, it was from one of the other trailers where they were talking about Return to Westeros. There was a book and it told the story of Nymeria, how she came to Westeros and all that. So it is possible that this could be done. It'll be fun to find out. Yeah. So, yeah, zoom in on those. Uh, this last shot we have here is of a, um, a council meeting. A war council meeting. You can see there's all kinds of angry soldiers. There's uh, the painted table, which we found out the reason why the painted table glows like that is because it's all inlaid with gold, which is why it reflects so beautifully in the light. Uh, but we see several different people here, mostly Targaryens and Valarians, based on their hair color. Uh, could be Damon at the head of the table. That could be Rhaenyra at the front. Uh, could be Rhaenys over there on the side. It was so hard to tell it's, which it's characters tell. these were. <laughs> yeah, because we're looking from behind. So it's a meeting at Dragonstone. We know that much. That's the easy part. We know that's the painted table. That's the other easy part. The hard part is figuring out what the purpose of this scene is and who exactly it is that this is for. At first, I thought this was uh, Viserys and Rhaenyra, but uh, the girl next uh, looks too small, small to be mm -hmm. uh, Rhaenyra. So that's why I thought uh, it might be the one on the left might be uh, Rhaenyra, who's wearing a crown. And on the extreme left, there is uh, Princess uh, Queen Rhaenys, and uh, pr sorry, Princess Rhaenys, and she's wearing a an armor. It looks so beautiful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's Rhaenys because she's wearing her hair up. She always has that kind of point mm -hmm. for her hair. So I think that's Rhaenys there. Um, and is it just me or does uh, these, do these clothes look like uh, kind of similar to those morning clothes we saw in the yeah. evening? Yeah, they're, it's all very dark, which yeah. strikes me as being more for mourning than what the normal lords would be wearing in their, in their regular everyday occurrence. Yeah, we also see some, yeah. This is a time period where things were a lot more lavish and colorful. So for them to be all dressed in black kind of tells me that there's something really somber and serious about this scene. Yeah. There are also King's Guards mm -hmm. standing here. And uh, House uh, Dragonstone was the usual seat of House Targaryen. They used to travel there constantly. Mm -hmm. And we also get to see Daemon's broken shield from uh, their tourney fight. Okay, back to you, Morgan. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's it for that. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rennells, 
And with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. Next, we have our Raven's Eye segment, where Solar will be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affect the trailer. To you, Solar. Well, thank you. And this week's very short edition of the, of the Raven's Eye, unfortunately, as much as I beat my head against um, this particular trailer... There wasn't really a whole lot to talk about since we are so close. And I mean, so close to the premiere of this episode or premiere of the show. We are now at the marketing part where the trailers are get hype, get hype. Don't forget, this is coming on next Sunday. Hey, you know, type of thing. Um, if we take a look here at, um, oh, there we are. Um, if we take a look over here at the trailer what we have here it's um let me just fix this here yeah what we'll have is boop. yes i have multiple screens there we are august 21st which is honestly this sunday okay um quick cut 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 you want to see? You want to know what these things are in reference to? Tune in on Sunday. Um, so we have what is known in the business as a clip show, um, which every trailer on one level or another is a clip show. But this is a clip show of all the previous trailers that we've seen. Like I, I combed over this shot after shot after shot, and there is no new footage. Um. So everything that we're seeing here is like, hey, remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Now watch the show. Watch the show. Um, so, yeah, not a whole lot when it comes to themes or. Um, wait, where is that button? Ah, there it is. Yes. Not a whole lot when it comes to themes, but most of it is quick cuts. Let's see what we can do on get people's blood flowing, get their hearts going, and really try and keep them on the edge of their seat. So we have no shot in the trailer that's more than three quarters of a second long. <laughs> and yes, I did time it, like three quarters of a second. Cut, 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 smash cut, smash cut, smash cut. Um, all of which um, has a wonderful, wonderful effect in the marketing um, in the marketing strategy 
um, turning the everyday viewer into people like us going, wait, what was that? Back up. Wait, look at that again. Hold on. Pause it. Pause it. Pause it. Pause it. So we'll spend almost as much time trying to figure out what we've seen with all of these smash cuts as an episode is long which is a fantastic cinematic way of priming the audience for your long-form content. So, I mean, what, what do you think about that strategy? I know it seems like rather speculative or something that you only get when you go to a film school marketing course, but are you guys seeing what I'm seeing on this? Um, we'll start with you, Constance. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Everything is too quick to register. It It barely clicks as what did I just see and so you're gonna want to go back I know we are the kind of people that want to go back and watch it again to say okay I thought I saw this happen did it really happen what was this scene what's the context and without having any of those clues it's the oh tune in next week and find out kind of thing <laughs> which is exactly what this is supposed to be yeah so yeah like, i've got I'd, the knife we've got the real star of the show which is this dagger look at the knife look at the knife look at the knife now oh yeah dragon fire fights fights dragon fire pretty people now <laughs> now tune yeah, in and see what the context is you know exactly it goes by so fast uh, like you have to watch it a zillion times to just get everything that's going on in the <laughs> trailer yeah you think it was yeah, it was it goes by so fast like uh, if i have to take a screenshot uh, i even if i just miss for a second and there are like a couple of scenes just <laughs> slipped by and i have to go back and take those screenshots as well yeah now what are you seeing when you look at this morgan um there is a lot of info coming in i i see what you see i see that they are just trying to tantalize right but what I, what i really am seeing to me is they set in a mood. Um, this is a lot of fiery, dark, dark and light contrast going on. Uh, but what they're really doing is they're setting up for the fact that this isn't actually a trailer, right? It isn't. It's, it's like you said, it's material we've already seen. Uh, but what it is, is it's there for the people who are running the show to address the audience and say, hey, just so you know, we're going to do it right this time. <laughs> just saying. That is, that is, that what, is a that really is what this good is. point. Yeah, I, like, you know, the, the, I hadn't considered, yeah, I really hadn't considered the perspective of, hey, hey, no, seriously, seriously, no, 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 those guys are gone. Those guys are gone. Watch this one. Watch this show. <laughs> no, seriously, come on, watch the show. Look, look, we got stuff. Yeah, that that's a really good observation. That I, I did not that didn't occur to me. Those things you loved so much, like dragons and battles and <laughs> we got that. <laughs> right. And so everything about this whole thing, aside from so the, the the clips that we see, we're seeing them before. The new material is all about behind the scenes stuff. We're seeing the uh, we're we're hearing George R. R. Martin talking. We're seeing uh, directors and showrunners discussing. We're seeing people really just talk about how hey, we're gonna do this right, and they're literally saying, <laughs> "I was so scared, I wasn't gonna do this right. I really hope I do this right." <laughs> Like yeah, that, was... that is a really big part of the interview process, kind of that subconscious entertainment industry way of going, look, guys, we're concerned, too. OK, 
All right. We know. We know. We know. We watch season eight as well. Okay. We know. We got it. <laughs> you know, without saying, come on. <laughs> well, it's also kind of a, it's that standard interview practice of, oh, I know this is a problem and this is why it's going to be okay. Or you're yes. asking me a question. Let me reiterate the question and tell you why everything's fine. But don't actually address. <laughs> They've got George himself in the trailer. And you know that yeah. he's going to come on. He's going to say wonderful, happy, glowing things about this anyways. Because that's what mm -hmm. you do when you're getting a big fat paycheck from HBO. Mm -hmm. uh, but hey, he said, he's got a mortgage to pay on the house that he keeps all of his models in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really nice house. He's, he says. He did say it's in good hands. So the comment that he says it's in good hands doesn't sound like Hollywood press to me. It sounds more like an actual author who's commenting on the visuals of his, the, the, the work, the fruit of his loins, the mm -hmm. visual <laughs> translation of his work. Mental uh, loins. Kind of like how when you hear Neil Gaiman talk about Sandman, he's, he's got more than just press junket praise. He's got sincere glowing review. Yeah. So I think that's where we're going with this, with George being part of this. And if um, the fans of this particular podcast that you're listening to right now are the same type of fans, I think we know when George Martin is being diplomatic. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen his interviews from the last mm -hmm. <laughs> from the last um, show. We've seen his interviews from Beauty and the Beast, you know, where it comes down to, no, no, I, I think it's in good hands versus, yeah. I put the show in good hands and yeah, I'm going to change the subject about something because I'm George Martin and you're going to stick around doing it. That's really his technique. And Constance brings up a really good point with the, it's not the usual, oh my God, this is going to be such an amazing show. Um, you can see a weight lift from his shoulders saying, no, I think we did it right this time. Um, almost yeah. with the undertone of, and I'm staying in the room with these guys. <laughs> that, you know, so, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much the most that there is to say about this trailer. I would like to add in, uh, a lot of fans have said that, uh, they are concerned about the house of the dragon and uh, that they won't watch it because of how the uh, last series ended. So I think they are trying to address that as well because, uh, Miguel says that we are trying to keep what was right in, uh, what was good in game of Thrones. And on top of that, we are adding a lot of new things, a lot of good things. And George R. R. Martin has said in several interviews that this time we are going to do it right and that it is in good hands the way he said it was li like he was trying to say that this time he will make sure he remains involved in it <laughs> yeah and um yeah so and i do have to say with the trailer being so quick cut so flash so sunday 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 um that's actually a nice break for me in this segment because oh my god am i gonna have my work cut out for me <laughs> next week when the show premieres and i will be watching it frame by frame with the filmmaker's eye the hmm I wonder why they chose a tracking shot there or, you know, the, those types of things. So, yeah. Um, but this trailer really Morgan brings up a really good point in setting the mood and showing, look, guys, we're listening. OK, we're listening. We get your complaints. I promise you we have the same ones. 
promise you we had the same ones. And we put a clause in the contract saying another company can't come by and hostily poach our writers and our showrunners this time because we've nailed mm-hmm. their feet to the floor <laughs> and we just pick up that section of floor when we have to go to another location. So, um, but we'll start to get a sense next week. Now, I do want to um, address uh, what Uzma brought up with the fans are worried and they're not going to watch this. Every single property that comes out are going to have a skeptics and its haters um, come out with the they burned me once and now there will be no more fire in my house. I I live in the freezer because I will not be burned by them again. Um, and in my experience as both a junior filmmaker, a commenter, it's all hyperbolic. Um, as much as I hear all of the people complaining of, you know, I didn't like the last thing. I'm not going to watch it. I don't like this. It's not in the spirit of Star Trek. That's not Star Wars. That's not Roddenberry's voice. That's not what, um, they're making the show because they hate J.R.R. Tolkien. Everything that happens when it comes to that stuff always results in the same thing, which is more people watch it than complain about it. <laughs> um, we've seen, you know, we've seen it. Ha- we um, People were complaining about the Captain Marvel movie when it first came out, and it was the highest grossing Marvel film until Black Panther. You know, people were um, complaining about excuse me, um, the sequel trilogy with The Force Awakens, and it was the highest grossing Star Wars um, movie until the next one. So um, I get that people that people feel traumatized and feel burned from the last show. However, very few people can resist the water cooler conversation and can resist the zeitgeist that things like these tend to make. So um Uh, To those fans that are out there that are truly afraid for what this show is going to do, all I have to say is try before you deny. You know, since it's coming out on a streaming service that most of us already have, we've already paid for it. (laughs) So it's going to be there. You know, it's really going to be there. Um, So, yeah, I honestly think that this is going to be rather successful. And from everything I've seen... Um, with the trailers and the the hints of the cinematography and hints of the writing and the casting and the costuming, um, this is not a cash grab. This very much seems like a very planned out and sincere thing. Um, I'm not going to say it doesn't feel like an apology, but it does feel <laughs> like a sincere apology so far. And isn't that what we want it to begin with? And those who have watched it at the premiere, everyone says good things about this, that it's really good. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we'll see in a few days. Um, yeah, we'll see God in three days at this point, you know, uh, not from time of recording. But if you're listening to this when we drop this episode, yeah, <laughs> in just a few days, <laughs> um, you know. So, yeah. So hopefully um Hopefully the cinematic language that became commonplace in the last show still holds up and is still a language that the viewers and the fans of the books can understand and appreciate.
We are now at our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into the biggest moments that came up in the trailer. Uh, I have compiled some questions to ask everyone, and this is my usual segment, so I'm a little more comfortable than I have been all day. Um, <laughs> so, my first question for everybody, initial reactions. Yeah, go ahead, Constance. I, I think what George said was very reassuring. I, that's my takeaway from this is that he he has the material written so they can't deviate off into God knows where country and make up their own shit. They're, they're going to make up stuff and change things around, but they have the roadmap. They've got a very solid roadmap to go for. They have the ending. They have the ending. <laughs> and it's, it's a good ending as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, that's way down the road. We're thinking we're talking about like four or five seasons, three, four seasons. Um, but. It, this the the new rain trailer the clip trailer they both fill me with hope that this will be a not quite an apology like solar said but maybe more of a love letter to the world of ice and fire because it looks like everything is being richly detailed and everything is being drawn out just to give it life so that's that's my initial thought um, solar what what's your take on that um honestly i'm confident <clears throat> now I am a rather cynical soul, but my cynicism is always tempered with optimism. Um, I come from the school of everyone deserves a second chance. And given the visceral, visceral reactions from within the industry, without the industry, and of course the fan reactions, there were a lot of lessons that were learned from the last project. And with the trailers, there, I think reassurance is the proper word, because at least with the clips that we've been getting, <clears throat> um, they're trying to let us know, hey, we listen, we learned some lessons, and let's see if we can iterate on this. And I'm always up for iterations. Now, I could be wrong. Um, for all we know, everything that we've been watching on the trailers and the behind scenes footage could be all there is and everything else are storyboards and moving animatics but um, it is possible um but quite honestly i am looking forward to seeing this i think they picked i i think they picked proper source material um with all of the talk before this one came out with are they doing the rogue prince are they doing the age of heroes um the voyage of nymeria and the roin hour and of course the hedge knight series um with duncan egg um there are so many things they could have picked from but as uzma said they know the ending so they picked one of the epic moments from the past of um the property that people already know and they're expanding on the history. They have a solid ending. So they were able to really expand on that. Pick a good cast, including Sir Yummy of Girl Gaze. And, um, and hopefully they'll be putting out something that they are proud of. And not something that we'll see one of the cast members going, Wow, we're going against the dead and we're hiding all the women and children in the crypts. Yeah. I have a smart character. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't see moments like that happening in the first season. So I think we're going, uh, given the trailers, <laughs> I think we're going to get an epic first season. 
but always in motion is the future, as says one of the stars of another franchise. So that everything you guys uh, already said, and I agree. I like uh, they like they've said uh, they are keeping things that were good about uh, Game of Thrones, like the battles and everything, and they are making it better. At least in my opinion, everything looks uh, somehow more like uh, everything is there but it's somehow richer and better quality like you can see how powerful how rich and uh, how good things were uh, before everything before the war and everything like everything is somehow after the battle it was not in its what do you say what's the word grandeur like Everything was less somehow, like after the bat, everything worn down. But now we are getting uh, getting to see everything at the height of uh, everything is really good. And they are also setting everything for uh, the prequels as well. We get, like uh, Solar mentioned, they are setting up uh, Nymeria and uh, other for prequels. Just like they set up the Dance of Dragons in Game of Thrones. Awesome. So, moving on to the next question. So, in this show, other than a Targaryen character, what characters are you most hoping to see development for? Character development. Let's start with Solar. Well, the obvious answer for me would be um, Ares I. But in all honesty, I want to see the development of Otto Hightower and Alisane Hightower. Um, given how little of the of House Hightower we saw in the last series, how intricate they are, and um, how can I put this? We've seen two flavors of Hand of the King. Um, we've seen Tywin as Hand, and we've seen Tyrion as Hand. So we've seen stern and we've seen clever um and ned hmm ned. yeah well you know ned, there is ned there there is ned <laughs> that was that Neither. was the definition of a job for life and and not for long but given that otto has the reputation of the peter baelish of three ages ago um, I'd like to see the development of a character that is conniving and underhanded, actually running the kingdom with the, all right, you wanted the real power. Now you got it. Let's see what you do with it type of thing. You know, on a day to day and episode by episode basis. I I'd like to see that development happen. Um, how about you, Uzma? Mushroom? <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Alison Hightower, I would like to see her friendship with Rhaenyra, how they were, uh, whether they were really friends or what uh, ha what actually happened and how they went from enemies to, you know, <laughs> what happened, what happens later. <laughs> so I would like to see her grow. She seemed really angry when she attacked Rhaenyra. And in the beginning of uh, the clips we have seen, they seem like genuine friends. So I would like to see how she grew from that and whether she really were friends with Rhaenyra or not. What do you think, Constance? Uh, I want to see Mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, it's a Game Jester. of Thrones show. You will see lots of Mushroom. 
but uh, uh, no, I, I understand from from what I understand, Mushroom <laughs> won't be in the series, which is a real shame. But uh, I want to see Misaria, uh, Damon's mistress. She looks fascinating. She she doesn't she breaks the mold. She does not. She's not from Westeros. She wears a different style of garment. She wears all white. She's got this mysterious thing going for her where we we know her through the lens of Damon, but we don't know her. And she has very little development of her own other than she exists to serve him and his storyline. So I'm interested in seeing what of her own story they give to this, to the element. Because we've seen her in the promo trailers. We don't see her much in the current clips. We saw her in the promo art and we saw her in the promo posters, but uh, we've seen nothing of her in any of the trailers other than standing alongside Damon when he's holding the egg and drawing the sword on Otto. That's the only time we've seen Missaria in any of these new trailers. So I'm really curious what they're going to do with her when we actually get to the series. But Morgan, yours. Yes. Mine is uh, Lord Valerian. Right, Corliss? I want to see the sea snake. I want to understand where he's going, what his real motivations are, and how they change throughout the story. Right? Like, that's one of the great things about Game of Thrones. Like, we watched uh, Jamie's motivations change. His core self was still kind of the same, but his outer behavior and his his beliefs were changing. And because of the different perspectives he was learning, the way his core self presented itself became very different. And I want to see that in characters like Coralus Valerian, who is just so fucking cool. <laughs> um, all right. My next question... How do you all feel about the continuity changes, uh, such as the look of the Iron Throne, uh, the look of the painted table, and also the skull of Balerion, the Black Dread, which is obviously a completely different skull in this show than it was in Game of Thrones? Uh, how about we start with you, Solar? Um, <clears throat> my thoughts on the changes... Um, I'm actually fine with them. Um, there is, there is a huge, huge trope in all of fantasy, two huge tropes that are coming into play here, which is one, the past was always more epic than the present. <laughs> and two, um, the past was always hyperbolic, you know? Um, we did see Balerian skull and I believe it was episode three, like season one, episode three of, um, Game of Thrones when Arya was hiding in it while chasing cats. Um, however, um, do we know for a fact that the skull that we see is Balerian skull or could it be the skull of a different dragon? You know, that kind of thing is up in the air. Now, as far as the change to the Iron Throne, excuse me, um, it is very different from how it is in the books, which is fine, um, because the way it is in the books would be impossible to film, impossible to film. It would literally be, yo, Grace, I have news. What? 
What? I'm sorry, I can't hear you all the way up here. Because, you know, there were no Westerosi microphones. Um, but I really did, and I noticed this in the first trailer that they saw it. I appreciated that the rest of the swords were included in a way that made a lot of sense. Okay. Um, I like the idea of the only mess that the Targaryens will cop to are the messes of the swords of their enemies strewn about the throne room in the same way the bodies were on the field of combat. And I think that was a really, really good, <clears throat> um, what is it, set designer choice on that one. And I like that it's so distinct from the original show in the sense of it's not just that those thousand swords are there, but they're also kind of a barrier from getting to who's sitting on that chair. <laughs> and um, I like that a lot, you know? So instead of having to climb things, it's like, no, I have to go kill the kid. Oh, wait, wait, okay, wait, let, all right, step over that. It, it's, you know, um, that difficulty of trying to attack whoever's sitting on the Iron Throne, like running through Disneyland when you're over six feet tall, is I think an acceptable aesthetic. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm for it. I, I really am. It makes the King's Guard's job easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless they get pushed onto the They're swords. Less... <laughs> well, you know, the first iteration of King's Guard just had a bunch of banana peels that they would litter in front of the king oh. whenever they suspected a plot, you know? Well so what about you, Constance? Um, I think that it is a very intelligent design choice. It is something familiar that we recognize, but it's different to show that this is a different time in a different place. Well, it's the exact same place, but it's a different time. And so by showing how things were before the passage of time, this is what, 200 years before Robert's Rebellion and the Game of Thrones series, Things change a lot in 200 years, especially when they're lived in. It's not like it's sitting in a museum being admired behind a case of glass. This is something that's actively being used and actively being worked. And it does show a huge difference between what Robert did to the throne room when the Baratheons took King's Landing and said, okay, we're kings now. We're going to remove all of the trappings of the Targaryens versus what the Targaryens did to preserve their legacy and show their wealth and power. So it's it's a very good visual indicator right away that this is very familiar. You've been here before, but not like this. Uh, so that's that's why I very much approve of the changes, and I'm excited to see more of those little details, like the oh, remember this? This is how it looks now. Dude, I love your diplomacy, by the way. It, <laughs> when Robert de Baratheon came in and cleared it out, this is Bobby B. He's like, get all this crap off of my floor. <laughs> The Targaryens yeah. are done. Clean up this room. You know, yeah, I, I can. Pretty much. You know. I'm just surprised he didn't throw it in the sea or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, just we don't know that he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, because the dragon skulls were supposed to be decorating the Great Hall. Even after all the dragons died, um, they, the dragon skulls were decorating the hall for the rest of whatever and robert one of the first things he did was say get rid of those ugly things and throw them in the basement so uh uzma what's what's your thought on the design changes i agree with you guys and uh 
yes uh, it makes sense to me uh, like uh, painted table wall yes it looks di different but maybe over time it dulled a little bit and uh, they had to make some changes and as for the iron throne maybe uh, it ha it's it is set 200 years later so maybe the swords were later removed so i don't see it as a continuity error because it is possible and as for the Balerian skull being black. Do we know any funeral rites for the dragons? Is it possible Ooh. like they burned it and it looked black, black, black because of the ashes or something and later it just uh, the, the ashes went away and it turned into white? <laughs> I think according to the books, they're always black. It's in the literature that because of a high iron content or something like that, that their bones are, are darker. I mean, true. Like, so, aren't buffalo bones black? Like, I know they are in jewelry, but... You know, I don't know. So it, it is, yeah. So that's that's one thing where they went with the book detail instead of the old show detail. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, that is one continuity uh, like detail that's different. And I don't think there's a way to describe it logically, at least in the show. But I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks epic, and I'm yeah. happy with that. <laughs> Rule of cool, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Morgan? I actually like that they made changes. Like, to me, yes. Uh, you can explain away the Iron Throne. You can explain away the painted table, say changes happened. You can't explain Balerian skull because it's not just black, which it wasn't. It's also shaped completely differently. So it's definitely not the same skull. But I'm going to say I really like the fact that they made that change. And that being that is because this show is not a prequel for prequel's sake, right? That's what they said in the trailer. This is not a prequel for prequel's sake. If it was, they'd be trying to show you everything in a way to reminisce and be like, ah, you remember this detail? Here it is the same as before. You will remember oh, this yeah, the and the member be fond berries of it. would be deep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the member berries would be thick. <laughs> right. So, but they didn't do that. They kept themes and feel the same, but they made everything based on what they wanted it to be, not based on what the previous show had done. Mm -hmm. And that, I, I, I give respect for that. Like, that takes guts to make a prequel, not, not even a different studio, same studio, same technical continuity, and just be like, nah, we're doing it our way. I don't care if they did it another way. We're not beholden to that. <laughs> that wasn't our production team. We don't have to do what they did. This isn't the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even that is not very consistent. Ooh. So. <gasps> oh. Ooh. Shots oh, fired. Please send all emails to. <laughs> <laughs> I love Marvel. Not consistent, just like Star Wars, which is way worse. Um, so, in case Disney is listening, this is the opinion <laughs> of Morgan. I love Disney and Marvel and would happily accept a sponsorship. <laughs> I love Disney. I was at Disney last weekend. Anyways, uh, <laughs> moving on to the next question. Now that we are only days away from launch of this series, there's going to be a two-part question, so we're going to focus on the first part. What is your greatest fear or concern 
about the series to come. Let's start with Uzma. I don't have, uh, from what uh, we have seen so far, everything looks so good and I'm so excited that I don't have many concerns. I just want them to uh, stick to the books, which they are doing uh, quite well. And I think it will be great. What do you think, Sola? <laughs> uh, why do you have to ask me these questions? Um, my biggest fear um, with this show is that in truth, they are going to front load this with awesome without giving enough foreshadowing to the slow moments. I, I'm really afraid that they're so caught up in the apologies going action, action, pretty people, action. There might be sex position that when it comes to the character and plot development that these stories are known for. Um, they're really trying to get the bros in and they're showing all the bros everything. And then once it gets quiet, there might be complaints. And I'm afraid that might rattle them and make them, what's the term? Um, let's call it pulling a brawn, you know, going, well, the audience likes it like this. So we're going to do it like this, you know? Um, so I'll have to see, you know, I have nothing but faith in the first three episodes, but I'm fearing episodes four through seven. So we'll see. That is that is the concern. And I didn't want to bring that up. I wanted to say positive. I'm sorry. <laughs> Constance, bail me out of this one. <laughs> All right. So my greatest fear is that um, they're going to lose sight of the overall story. And trying to build up this drama this this sisterhood broken this you know kind of story the brotherhood broken uh don't make me choose between my brother and my daughter that they're going to get so caught up in all of these little dramas that they're not going to tell the main story or move the main story along it's going to get bogged down in the details which can be great details are wonderful but unless they move the story along it's just going to be another like, okay, well, when are they getting to the next fight scene? Or when are they going to get to the next action point? Um, and I'm not an action-driven person. I like the quiet moments. I like the character growth and the character development. But I don't want it to get so loaded down with that that it loses sight of the storyline moving forward. Because that kind of happened in season eight, where the storyline had gotten so far off the rails and so far bogged down that it couldn't move forward in an appropriate manner. And they had to shove it all together and make it all happen at the end without any actual real buildup or, or story development. So that is my fear. Uh, Morgan, what is yours, my dear? So my fear is a little different. So for me, I'm looking back at Game of Thrones and in the first few seasons, there weren't a lot of big battles. There were battle events, but we weren't seeing the battles, right? We were having everybody marches off and then we hear people be like, oh, yeah, this battle happened over here. Oh, my God, we're all alive. I'm so grateful. And we lost such and such. But a lot of the battles were being cut. They were being skipped because they didn't really have the budget for it. And as the show went on, we saw more and more budget and more and more action sequences, and everything was drama and glory and action. And we started losing the real thread of the story, in, 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 in my opinion. That's when we started seeing the characters 
make doing things seemingly randomly, right? Um, and so that and I think that's because they were focusing too much on the action and not enough on on the story that they had been developing. Now, in this, just from this trailer, we see people preparing for big battle scenes. We see lots of people on the field. There's going to be big battle scenes. People, are, They're going to focus on that stuff, which is a huge aspect of Season 8. So much battle that they didn't have enough time for character development. <laughs> and so that's my fear, is that we're starting... We're starting with the budget to have the glory and the gory, <laughs> but are we going to actually, <laughs> are we going to actually do the legwork and do the real development or are we going to re rely on the glory and the gory to tell the story for us? So I, my, my fear is really the opposite of yours, Constance. Um, but... Moving on to the second part of the question, which is the last question I've got for you all today. What is your greatest hope and desire for the series? Uh, right back to you, Constance. Gosh, I hope that they take what George has given us and expand on it. Flesh out these stories that, that, that he's laid out the outline for. Give us the human drama of it. Give us the, the glory of it. Instead of saying, and then so-and-so went and fought this battle. Kind of like what you're saying, what they did with the, the initial part of Game of Thrones. Instead of saying, so-and-so went over and fought this battle. Show us the battle. Show. Don't tell. And the book tells us because it's a history. So the fact that we're going to get to see it, they're going to show us all this stuff, how this all evolved and, and how it came to be, you know, the the fall of the House of the Dragon. Uh, I'm really excited that that they can show us that from an exciting chapter of, uh, you know, a Song of Ice and Fire history brought to life. And I really have high hopes for that. Uh, Uzma, what's, what do you hope for? One of the greatest thing about Game of Thrones were that its characters were gray. Uh, you could, t uh, even if they did bad things, you could understand their reasonings behind it. And so far, it seems like a little bit black and white to me like the high towers aren't uh, exactly good so i am re i really hope that they will keep the characters gray in the show too uh, like uh, i i would like to just love and hate <laughs> some characters like alicent and otto hightower etc because uh, they might be power hungry but uh, if they are explained like they are they have valid reasons, uh, for example, for Alicent, uh, that her friendship was genuine and ex everything. We will get to love and hate them, even if they are villains. So I really hope they keep that on the show. What about you, Solar? <sighs> I want six seasons of tight storytelling. That's what I want. I'm, I'm looking forward. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to a lack of filler episodes, a lack of audience fan service in the sense of, hey, they like this person. Let's keep them in longer, even though they have no place in the story. Let's cut someone else and give them that part. Um, no, I'm not bitter. Okay, I'm really bitter. I'm really, really bitter. Um, so I'm looking for, um, I'm saying six, <clears throat> six to seven seasons max because most shows fall apart 
after seven or eight seasons. Okay. So I want, I want this show to learn the lesson of tell the right story, keep it, um, keep the story tight and in the story when the story ends, either in the character story, when that character ends, because we didn't need four additional seasons of Braun. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what lessons they learned from the last, from the last show. Um, if they do this right, and I think they're going to do this right, it's not going to run for eight seasons, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, it will be a good amount of time of short character-driven stories within the premise of a political fantasy. So I'm really looking forward to that because it does look like they got back to their roots, especially with the big man himself sitting there. You know, going, ah, no, no, I want to leave this in good hands. I want to go back to my second house and play with my miniatures, you know. So that that that's that's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to see what this show is going to be with a good writer, a good showrunner. And I'm normally not the guy that wants the author of the work there for the show. But the author of the work has a long history in television as it is. So they've got really good people at the helm of this, you know, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it on that aspect. Maybe hashtag six seasons in a movie. <laughs> I think less. I would like to see four, maybe five seasons. Personally, I, I want I want this story even tighter. I want it to be dedicated, focused Honestly, one of the things I really hope and one of the one of the one of the aspects that's really interesting about this story is in Game of Thrones, we're focusing on so many different houses and how their dynamics interplay. In this show, while the while other houses will be represented, it's really focused on a family and how that family interconnects. And that's a way more intimate story, right? These, these hatreds, these loves, they are at the core of these people's personalities, their heart. And that's the story I want to see. I want to see it visceral. I want to see the people ripping their hearts out of their chests to make everybody understand how they really feel and why they are killing each other or dying for each other or saving each other. I want to know. And I think the only way to do that is to have a full perspective of where we're going, how far we're going to go, and how long we want to spend on it. And I don't think we need six seasons. I think four, maybe five. I'm thinking back to another HBO show that I loved so much, which was Rome, which lasted for only two seasons and had such an amazing story and so much character development in only two seasons. And there was a lot of time jumping in that, sure. But I think we're going to have a lot of time jumping in this. So yeah, I just, I want to see the character development. I want to see the interplay. I want to see everybody really feel. And I want to, I want to feel for the drama and trauma of it all. I think I remember some someone saying that it will last for five seasons, but... 
I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't trust my memory. I but I can't see it going be- But I can't see it going beyond season 5 because uh, in the book books there are only several pa- pages as compared to a song of ice and fire which had thousands of pages. <laughs> so I don't think se- uh, eight seasons were enough <laughs> for that story at least. <laughs> yeah. Or if you were going to do eight seasons you probably needed to cut a lot more characters a lot sooner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for my questions. And that's it for Fire and Blood. Uh, moving on uh, to our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia and polls, as well as questions and comments from you, the listeners. Uh, all you, Uzma and Constance. Okay, so the poll for this uh, week is... Which funeral ritual do you think is the most interesting in Westeros? And the winner is House Targaryen's ritual with 64 points. And <laughs> I think the least voted ones are House Stark and House uh, Ironborn's uh, and the Ironborn's ritual, which makes sense because we have seen them a lot of times in Game of Thrones, but we haven't seen the House Targaryen's or House Velaryen's customs. Even House Chelly's ritual got eleven <laughs> percent. <laughs> But uh, yes, it will be really nice to see a, a, a different, very unique funeral ritual, which is uh, only House Targaryen can do this because they are the only ones who have dragons, and they are the only ones who can burn uh, the funeral pyre of their dragons. <laughs> and now uh, it's time for. Uh so the trivia question for this episode is in the background of a wall of skulls there is a curious painting. Constance says that there's one thing and thinks it's looking one way and Uzma says it's a different thing and looking the other way. Which do they think it is? What does Constance say it is and what does Uzma say it is? So that's your trivia for this week. And now it's time for Who's, Who's that, that dragon? dragon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, one of these days we'll actually get it right, but I think that's part of the charm. You know, um, at this point, I think it's just our bit. We should like we should try and do it as try. poorly as possible every <laughs> every episode. And then for one one episode, we'll get it right. The fans will go, "No!" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just gonna start doing it ten minutes into the cast. It'll be like, so in this history of Westeros, who's that drag? Shut up, Solar. You know that's when I see it happen. <laughs> All right. So this dragon is called the Red Queen, the mount of the queen that never was, the Targaryen princess Rhaenys, who wed the Sea Snake. Truly a mother of dragons, this dragon is thought to have laid clutches of what would become the last true dragons of the Targaryen dynasty. She was old, one of the second generation of the dragons that came over during the conquest, and was almost as large as Velaryon the Black Dread, and in her youth, as fast as Caraxes the Bloodworm. Crimson of scale, broad of wing with pink membranes, her crest, horn, and claws were bright as copper burnished in the sun. Our dragon will bear witness to the drama that's about to unfold. Her name is Melisse. And that's our show for today. Let's take us out, Maury. No problem. So yes, this was our episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at A-W-P-O-I-A-F and Twitter at 
Ice and Fire Party, and email at us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you are watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. A massive thank you to our producer, Jordan Rannells, and for editing and putting the episode together. This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Be sure to check out our friends at Watch Party Lord of the Rings and Watch Party Real of Time, releasing episodes every Tuesday. Thank you so much for joining us. We are your hosts, Solar. Valar Morgulis. Constance. We do not sleep. Uzma. Velar Morgulis. And myself, Morgan. And like I said earlier, Sam is out for the day. Vela Morgulis. <laughs> <laughs>